at some time or another, I'm sure all of us have heard the admonition expressed, don't uh, just talk the talk, but walk the walk. And uh, while one might initially think that to be a secular expression, it is not merely a secular expression. In effect, it has basis in Scripture, really, because the Scriptures are replete with that admonition, not in those words, obviously. But the admonition, nonetheless, throughout Scripture is, it's not enough just to simply say that we love the Lord. We must demonstrate that. Luke 6.46 is one illustration of it, where Jesus said, Why call you me, Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? And so that, in effect, says don't just talk the talk, but walk the walk. We'll look at another passage in a few moments along those same lines. There's another expression that we often hear, and it's true, you can't take it with you. Or there are no pockets in a shroud. In other words, everything that you accumulate here is going to stay here when you leave. But there's another statement that is also true. You can't take it with you, but there are some things that you can send on ahead. And that is biblical based upon what the Lord said in a passage we'll be looking at on Sunday nights as a part of our Summit on the Mount series soon. Matthew six nineteen through 21. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust consume and where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust consume and where thieves do not break in and steal. And then Jesus says, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And so... There are some things we can send on ahead according to the Lord. In the 13th chapter of Matthew, there are seven beautiful parables that present, I believe, a perfect picture of the kingdom of God in parable form, the kingdom of God being equivalent to the church of our Lord. And one of those parables is the parable of the treasure. We've studied it recently, fairly recently. The parable of the treasure hidden in the field, who when a man found... For joy of it, he sold all that he had to buy that treasure. He saw the singular value of the kingdom and that it was worth selling everything else that he had in order to possess that one treasure. Well, once we have come to possess that one treasure, when we have obeyed the gospel of Christ and been added to the kingdom, the church of, of Christ, we have, in effect, a treasure that is beyond comprehension, a treasure chest, if you will, to which we have the responsibility, the privilege of adding precious gems for as long as we live that will meet us again up there, as the expression goes, or in heaven. In other words, there are some things that are going to face us in the judgment. Our talk is one of them. Our talk is one, and our walk is the other. And this morning I'd like to think about some talk passages, if you will, first of all, and then have us look briefly at some walk passages from the book of Ephesians that are vitally important. You see, talk without walk has never been pleasing to God, but by the same token, having said that, talk has always been important to God. And it still is. And there is a great deal in Scripture about how we use our tongues to edify or to tear down. In other words, to build up or to tear, 
tear down, to criticize or to encourage, etc., etc. The first of the talk passages at which we look is Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 8. It should be a familiar text to us. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. Notice that. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise out, rise up. In other words, spiritual talk, not sports talk. Spiritual talk, not social talk, is to dominate the home in terms of the kind of talk that we are engaged in. doesn't mean we can't have some sports talk or some social talk, obviously, but our priorities must be such that the most important, overwhelming determination that we have in our homes is that spiritual talk take precedence over everything. There's another talk passage in Ecclesiastes 5 and verse 2 that is very, very sobering, I believe, where the writer says, Do not be rash with your mouth, and let not your heart utter anything hastily before God. For God is in heaven, and you on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. You know what that tells me is I better weigh my words. I better weigh them carefully before I speak them. Because God is in heaven, you are on earth. In other words, God hears everything. There's an illustration of that that is very sobering in Numbers chapter 12. You remember when Aaron and Miriam criticized Moses there because of the Ethiopian wife he had taken? And uh, they asked, has God only spoken through you? In other words, they were murmuring and complaining against God's appointed leader, Moses. And there's a phrase that ought to sober our thinking tremendously there in connection with that murmuring that they were doing. The phrase is this, and the Lord heard it. And the Lord heard it. The Lord hears it. The Lord hears everything. And on that occasion, because he heard it, he acted in response to what he had heard and struck Miriam with leprosy. And to the credit of the humble leader of God, whom that text at verse 3 of Numbers 12 says, is, was the most humble among all men upon the face of the earth, that humble man prayed fervently to God and said, God, please heal her. He didn't say, see there, Miriam, you got what you deserved. He prayed fervently, no doubt tearfully, to the God of heaven, please take away this leprosy from her. What a beautiful spirit in response to an ugly one. Oh, yes, the Bible tells us we are to weigh our words. And Jesus sobers our thinking, hopefully in Matthew chapter 12, verses 36 and 37. In a confrontation that he had with the uh, Jews of his day, some of them, who in this context were accusing him, if you can believe it, of casting out demons 
by the power of the devil, by the power of Beelzebub, that's what they were saying. Jesus in Matthew 12 at verses 36 and 37 said this, But I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Now Jesus was not saying that what we say is going to be the totality of our judgment in terms of the foundation or the basis for our judgment, but he is saying it is going to be included, and it is going to be a very crucial part of the judgment. And as we said, the context was where they had accused him of casting out demons by the power of the devil. And he did not mince words back at verse 34 of this context when he said to them, Brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And then he said, A good man out of the good treasure, there's our treasure again, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. Now, as we think about the talk passages and a transition to the walk passages, I'd like for us to consider this morning, there is a transitional text that takes us from talking to walking in Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23. There, Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who, what? Practice lawlessness. They were talking a good game. They were talking as though, and they no doubt believed they were doing what the Lord wanted, but no, he said, I never knew you. You practice lawlessness, which tells us that our walk is, in addition to our talk, is vitally important, even in the context of Christianity itself. Oh yes, there are those in the religious world who, who talk, and very sincerely so, as the Lord described them here in this text we've just noted. But we need to make sure that even those who are in the kingdom are doing more than just talking, and that we are indeed walking as God would have us walk. And with that in mind, and though time doesn't allow an in-depth study of these seven passages, let's go to the book of Ephesians, and let's walk through Ephesians, and look at the seven walking passages in the book of Ephesians that will provide us with, I think, all that we need to make sure that we are walking as God would have us walk. The first is Ephesians 2, 1 and 2. Where Paul writes, and you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, here it is, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. And so here Paul describes the complete transformation that had taken place in the lives of these Gentiles at Ephesus. They had once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. They had walked with the devil. Now a complete transformation had taken place, and they were walking with the Lord. You know, there's something going around these days that I don't understand at all, 
this, this zombie craze. And uh, there's some program, I think, called The Walking Dead, I believe, or something like that. And all this thing about people dressing up and making up as though they were the walking dead. Well, the Ephesians didn't have to make up as though they were among the walking dead. And let me tell you something. I didn't either, and you didn't either, when we were among the walking dead. Because if we're Christians now, it means at one time we were among the walking dead. We were walking around, but we were dead spiritually, weren't we? Everyone outside of Christ is in that condition. And that's what Paul is describing here. He's saying you who were among the walking dead are now alive in Christ. And what kind of emotion should that evoke within you? What, shi- what kind of gratitude? What kind of talk should that cause to pour forth from your mouth after you've been transformed? And what kind of walk should it motivate you to engage in? Before Christ, we were all among the walking dead. And now we're alive if we've obeyed the gospel of Christ. Then our second walking passage is a very familiar one to us, Ephesians 2. 8 through 10, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Walking in works. Isn't that ironic, as we've talked about before, that so many in the denominational world work so hard to eliminate the need to work, When here is a passage, and there are others that could be cited, that admonish us not only to engage in them, to walk in them, to keep on doing good works, which God prepared. Not works that we have tried to prepare, that we could boast about. Those works are eliminated, verse 9 makes clear. Works of the law of Moses are eliminated, because that law served its purpose and cannot save anyone today. It was nailed to the cross. But what about works of faith? Works by which we show our faith. Those are the very works that Paul describes in verse 10 when he says we're his workmanship. And listen to this. Created in Christ Jesus. We've mentioned this before. That's when you became a Christian. If you're a Christian now, that's when you became a Christian. You were created in Christ Jesus. For what purpose? For good works which God prepared and which God has revealed through his word. I've mentioned before that while it is tragically ironic that the denominational world, for the most part, denies the importance of works, the Christian life is a life of works from beginning to end. Here's the beginning in Ephesians 2.10, when you were created in Christ Jesus. Here's the end, Revelation 14.13, where John heard the voice saying, Right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works do follow them. Here's the beginning of works. In Christ Jesus, there's the end of it, when you draw your last breath. And your works will continue to follow you, as did Abel's, about whom we studied this morning in Bible class. Though he being dead, still speaks. Christianity is a life of works from beginning to end, but the right kind of works. Works by which we demonstrate our faith. We're to walk in works. But let's look at our next Walking passage in verse 1 of chapter 4. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to have a walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. What kind of calling is that? 
the only one we can read about in Scripture, the call of the gospel. Paul is saying you were called by the gospel. Now walk worthy of that calling and determine that you are going to pattern your life after the gospel by which and through which you were called. He specifically tells the Thessalonians in chapter 2 of the First Thessalonians, or Second Thessalonians, at verse 13, But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief of the truth, to which he called you by our gospel for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. All who have obeyed the gospel have been called to do so. But called by God directly? Called by the Holy Spirit directly? No, called by the gospel. The word calls us to answer the call, as did the Ephesians, and to become members of the body of Christ. Today, there is a tremendous clamor for the charismatic. And we live in a time where testifying trumps truth in the minds of a great many people. And that attitude tragically has infiltrated the Lord's church in places. But 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 still reads as it always did. All scripture is inspired of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. We don't need to clamor for the charismatic. Testimony doesn't trump truth. Truth prevails. And truth has been forevermore recorded in God's word. And the call that comes to anyone today comes through the gospel. Believe with all of your heart that Jesus is the Christ. Repent of your sins. Confess him to be the Christ. And be buried with him in baptism for the remission of sins. That's the call that comes through the gospel. The call to simply obey those simple but absolutely essential commands. Then we drop down to verse 17 of Ephesians 4 for our next walk passage. And verse 17 says, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. And here's a passage that goes to the very heart of the greatest problem that faces the Lord's church today. It is summarized in one word, worldliness. This strikes at the very heart of that problem that permeates our society and at times infiltrates the church, and that is worldliness. And the Lord had a great deal to say about that, didn't he? And about separating ourselves from the world. You remember again in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6, at verse 24, the Lord made it abundantly clear, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. That is, you cannot serve God and materialism at the same time. Because this world and the next world are incompatible. And we must make a determination to come away from this world. We've talked about the passages in Luke, for example, in the past at chapter 9, verse 23, Jesus said to them all, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. As we've said before, the passage does not read, let him diminish himself and take up his cross. Let him deny 
himself. Self has to die. Self has to die. That complete separation. Living in the world after becoming a Christian, but not any longer of the world. Everything changes. In Luke 14, 26, you remember, we have talked about this passage many times. Jesus said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate, that is, love less, his father, mother, wife, and children, brother and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. A few verses later, verse 33 of Luke 14, Jesus put it this way. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has, he cannot be my disciple. If you turn to what is truly the Lord's Prayer in John chapter 17, you find the Lord praying in the initial part of that prayer for himself and his relationship to the Father. Then he turns his attention at verse 6 through verse 19 of John 17 to the disciples, his apostles, that is. And as he does, there's a significant part of that prayer that relates to this point we are making. It is down at verse 6. Concerning the apostles, he prays, I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me, listen to this, out of the world. To the men you have given me, where? Out of the world. Where were the apostles once they became followers of Christ? They were still living in the world. Jesus says they were out of the world. There was a sense in which they were no longer in the world. They were out of the world. What should be the difference between us and the apostles in that regard? No difference at all. We've got to come out of the world. We don't become sick to it, but dead to it. And as we said before, that doesn't mean we can't enjoy those things that are in and of themselves good things that God has provided for us, both physically and socially and through our families. Well, certainly, but everything has to be in perspective and everything has to take a back seat fully and completely to the Lord and His church. Now, you stay in John 17 and look at verse 15. Jesus says, I do not pray that you should take them. He's still talking about the apostles. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but, the, but that you should keep them from the evil one. Don't take them out of the world, but what? Take the world out of them. And that should be our prayer. Let us be an influence in the world. Don't take us out of the world, but please take the world out of us. In our talk, in our walk. And then we go to Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. And in Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, oh, and so much could be said about this, and we've discussed this subject at length, love. Therefore be followers of God as dear children, verse 1, and then verse 2, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. Walk in love. What kind of love? The kind of love that Jesus demonstrated. The kind of love that Jesus demanded in John 13, 34 and 35 when he said, A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Here's the newness of the commandment. As I have loved you that you also love one another. That's the newness of the commandment was in degree. 
I want you to love as I have loved you. And then he said, by this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. Love one for another. Love that what? Tears down or builds up? Builds up. Love that encourages or discourages? Love that disciplines or doesn't discipline? It's love that disciplines. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Revelation 3, 19. That's why we take seriously what the Lord teaches in his word on discipline and the love that demands the discipline. Oh, yes, so much could be said about this one aspect of our walk alone. Because love is to permeate every aspect of our lives. Love is to motivate every thing that we do supremely and overwhelmingly. But in Ephesians 5 and verse 8, we find another walking passage. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. Walk as children of light. Reminds us again of the Sermon on the Mount, doesn't it? And the Lord's words in Matthew 5. 14 beginning, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand and it gives light to all that are in the house. Then he says, verse 16, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. In John eight twelve, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And then he adds, he who follows me shall not walk in darkness but shall have the light of life. The light of the world has gone home, but he's left us here to be light reflectors of him as we live, as we walk. And our final passage is Ephesians 5, 15 and 16. Our final walking passage, Paul writes, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Walk circumspectly. In other words, walk and watch. Remember what Peter said in 1 Peter 5, 8, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil goes about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He also goes about as an angel of light, seeking whom he may destroy through his deceit. And the false peace that he produces in the hearts of many through false religion that permeates our land and our world today. And in 2 Corinthians 11 at verse 3 and then again at verses 13 through 15, Paul talks specifically about those who transform themselves, transform themselves into angels of light. Don't be shocked at that, he said, because the devil will use anything and everything he can to destroy your precious immortal soul. If he can use your own family, he'll do it. If he can use those in the world, he'll do it. If he can use your fellow Christians, he'll do it if he can get a hold of them. He'll use anything and everyone that he can. But in verse 15, while he admonishes us to walk and watch, verse 16, the admonition is this, watch your watch. Some may be saying, I hope you're watching yours, preacher, because it's about 20 after. <laughs> watch your watch. Redeem the time. That's what he says. 
Literally, the, the phrase means to buy up the opportunity. Watch your time. Take advantage of those opportunities. Recognize the value of every day and the blessing of having every day and determine to use it. To walk with God. You know, 1 Timothy 4.8 says, Paul writes, For bodily exercise profits little, or for a little time is the idea, but godliness is profitable for all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. He doesn't deny the value of physical exercise. He just says it's profitable for a little time. But when you will walk with God, as Paul has admonished us to do in these seven passages, if you'll walk with God seven days a week, It'll be far more beneficial than walking two or three miles a day, seven days a week, physically, won't it? Because it will prepare not your body, but your soul to meet the Lord and to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Today, if you know that you are not in that condition to meet the Lord because you're not walking as you should, because you haven't obeyed the gospel, we plead with you to do that as we've outlined already. Believe with all of your heart that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Repent of your sins, confess him to be the Christ, and then be buried in baptism. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, Jesus said. If you've done those things and have begun that walk, but you know you haven't continued to walk as you should, and that's known publicly in a way that needs to be repented of in that same public way, we plead with you to come home in repentance. And for all those who need no repentance, we encourage you, keep on walking as we stand to sing. Will you come?